Hey, Sandy and Nora fans. Nora here. We recorded this episode before the news of this violent and horrific attack in London, Ontario had come out. And so I want to give you a heads up that this episode is a lot more joyful than it would have been had we recorded it 24 hours later. Sandy and I express our deep condolences and solidarity with the Afzal family, all Muslims in London, Ontario, and across Canada, and anybody who has been deeply touched by this attack. You know, as someone who has seen what this kind of attack can do to a community, having experienced this, of course, in Quebec City in 2017, I know what Londoners are going through right now. And so I hope that you commemorate this and that you commit yourselves to action to find ways to force politicians to take far-right, Islamophobic, racist violence seriously in this country, finally, so that another attack like this doesn't happen again. Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. What's going on? How are you doing this week? I got to go to a restaurant for the first time in a long time. So I'm Whoa, feeling a restaurant. great. Yes, I mean a restaurant. I didn't go inside. I sat on a patio. It was an empty patio. And the weather was perfect. So it was like this moment of, wow, things feel good. You know, I hesitate to say normal because I know that our new normal is normal now. <laughs> so things feel, feel, you know, they felt good. And I, and I hope everybody uh, listening has been able to enjoy some of the warmer weather, some of the opportunity to maybe do something that you haven't been able to do for a long time and that you have been able to get vaccines. If that is something that has been a struggle for you, I hate that. <laughs> I hope that your vaccine journey has been easy. Sandy, how are you doing? You know, I'm doing kind of similar. Today, for the first time in over a year, I had my first like social like gathering today. Um, wow. Professor, yeah, a professor had some, some students over uh, in, uh, outside in the, in the backyard and had a collective meal of vaccinated people and um, Turns out I can still carry on a social conversation. So, you know, it's still <laughs> it's still with me. It's still with us. And it was just really lovely to be able to do something like that. That's great. That's great. Guess what else happened today? I have no idea. The statue of Egerton Ryerson at what shall henceforth be known as X University on this podcast, Ryerson University. Um, <laughs> it's going to be hard. I'm not sure I can do that, to be honest. It's like I really seared into my brain. <laughs> <laughs> I have no problem. I could correct you every single time, too. Um, That'll be fine. <laughs> that statue has fallen today. That statue has been taken down um, by activists who continue to demonstrate, given the awful news um, that came out last week of the 215 children whose remains were 
found on the site of uh, Kamloops Residential School and uh, the horrifying um, testimonies we've been hearing um, all week. You know, people have been demonstrating at sites across Canada. Um, there's been some really awful, ridiculous pushback sort of uh, response from white supremacist media, um, including the National Post, including the Globe and Mail. Uh, and, you know, people are obviously really fed up and wanting to do, uh, to, to continue to act, to show um, their frustration and uh, perhaps even, and hopefully a commitment to, to decolonization. And that statue has fallen at your alma mater. I'm, you know what? I actually did see that. And it is my alma mater. And in case folks don't know, I spent a fucking lot of time at that university. And I saw that statue all the time. Um, used to work across the street from it. And I think it's really important to note that this did not come down because the administration was like, oh, we want to engage in some sort of public discussion around the namesake of our of our university and and in that discussion it's appropriate to remove the statue celebrating him at the at the old facade of the of the Toronto Normal School which which forms like one of Ryerson University's there you go huh? I can't even do it which forms the university's like main um square shaped high school building called Kerr Hall I'm not sure who Kerr was he probably was an asshole too <laughs> And um, it was activists that took it down. It was direct action that took it down. And I think that that will be a bit of today's theme. Definitely. So th for the first time in a long time, Nora and I don't actually have a plan of how this discussion is going to go. But uh, fear not. <laughs> You're not supposed to say why, that. Why not? I like being honest to our listeners. <laughs> fear not. <laughs> this is going to be a good discussion nonetheless, because it always is. And... Before we get into it and before we get into the gratitude, I just want to say, if you heard me tell you to turn off email notifications from Patreon, and you're a patron of ours, <laughs> and you didn't heed the warnings, the multiple warnings, and you got 50 emails <laughs> the last little bit because we've caught up by 50 episodes, I'm not sorry because we warned you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but let it be known that we have much more than 50 episodes to go. <laughs> so if you want that mm -hmm. to stop, you have to uh, turn off email notifications uh, from Patreon every time we, we put up a post. Uh, so uh, more is coming. If you don't mind, if you just love getting the emails with the updates all one after another, that's great. Power to you. <laughs> Um, otherwise, you know, uh, I'm, I am a little bit sorry that it's all happening all at once. Uh, and just, you know, turn you, you can turn that off in your settings. We can't turn it off on our end. And if we could, we would. So I apologize for that. Well, I've heard some really thankful people to have the opportunity to go back to our old episodes and relive those moments. So, I mean, there's a positive side to this as well, right? Oh, totally. Speaking of thankful. <laughs> Yes. Speaking of thankful, uh, we have a lot of folks to thank tonight. Um, and as always, thank you so much to everybody that shares the podcast and suggests it to other people. I recently connected with a friend from high school and elementary school who um, discovered the podcast. <laughs> so that's always really neat. <laughs> 
So shout out to Melissa if you uh, stuck with it. <laughs> um, but for folks that uh, that donated for the first time or changed their donation in the past week, we have a huge thanks to Nitnat, TC, Jacqueline, Paisley, Ariel, Francis, Leah. Okay, here's one who's someone who's figured out how to hack the system. Thank you to April O'Neill from the Ninja Turtles. Whoa. I mean, and that person may actually be related to me, so I have to say that that's really, really hilarious. We appreciate you changing your <laughs> your donation by two cents to get that one onto the air. Uh, thanks to Christina, Trisha, Danica, Christina, and Rowan. Thank you so much. Thank you so, so much. So, yeah, we're, we're going to talk today about a little bit about, like... God, what the fuck do you do when government is useless? <laughs> like you're, you're kind of like looking at the the deluge of shit that is just constantly facing society, you impacting your life, impacting the ways uh, that our society operates and thinking, what the fuck do we do when government is shit? I mean, like, think about this last week, you know, um, fuck, the, the government didn't uh, immediately, you know, call for days of mourning or immediately respond um, appropriately to this, uh, this uh, awful, genocidal, murderous, tragic discovery, and then is continuing to fight um, uh, First Nations in court uh, with respect to uh, residential schools is continuing to um, to to name uh, the the issue as though it's something that's historical, and that of course isn't something that is surprising. You know, the 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 government obviously has an interest in the continued in continued uh, uh, investment in colonization, um, and then you know think of multiple other issues whether it's covid okay they shit the bed there <laughs> you know um uh, uh policing racist policing uh ableist policing and just the the entire gamut of the criminal justice system just a whole lot of non-action being completely beholden to to police i mean gosh there's so many different examples of government just being completely useless what do you do yeah listen to sandy and nora and scream i suppose (laughs) (laughs) that's right i've been thinking a lot about this well i always think about this actually when i'm not doing anything it's what i think about (laughs) but i was particularly thinking about this in this past week when there's this um the reaction to the government finally declaring some minor commemorative events like a national day to commemorate the survivors and victims of residential schools, um, ordering flags be half-mast. A lot of people criticize those actions as being not enough or being insignificant in the face of the fact, uh, you know, that the federal government's not doing anything, which is, which is good because there's like, the government took a step and then we can criticize that step. Whereas the week before they didn't even take that step. Right. And then it was like, wow. Okay. So we really see what's going on here. But the conversation has shifted because there's been a lot of focus, of course, on the Catholic church 
because the Catholic Church was uh, integral in in running the residential school system. And it wasn't, of course, just the Catholic Church, but they were the largest uh, religious uh, players in organizing and running the residential school system in Canada. And, you know, as many people know directly, uh, is an institution that um, that has for a long time protected sexual abuse uh, from ever seeing the light of day, for protecting sexual abusers and refusing to um, to do the right thing in so many cases. And it's the, the, the arguments or the debates have emerged is like, OK, well, we need to hold the Catholic Church accountable. OK, well, we need to hold the federal government needs to hold the Catholic Church accountable. It's like, wait a minute. Yeah, but no, but the Catholic Church is stuck to the Vatican and the Vatican's not going to do anything. So then then where does that leave us? And you kind of get into this like really difficult logic when you're imagining like what does justice look like when it's the state itself that is culpable? And what does justice look like in a in a colonial state when that like existence of the state is like to further perpetuate colonialism, right? Cuz in in my mind, you know, we've got we have a we have a a, a roadmap to 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 some of the ways that that the harms of the of the residential school system can be addressed, and that's of course with the ninety four recommendations that were made from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. But then there's stuff like you know, true reconciliation probably also requires that all the, like the prison system be closed, mm-hmm. that child services be cl- stopped, just be ended, right? That 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 things be so fundamentally overhauled because a lot of them just mutated into different ways to continue colonialism. That's very hard to imagine any of these systems being reformed. Because to reform them requires us to believe that all of these civil servants, all of the people who perpetuate abuse just didn't know, right? That, you know, the federal government only found out this past week that there is a mass uh, grave of, of children, except that's not true. This, this has been long, long known and publicly reported mm-hmm. for, for more mm-hmm. than a decade, right? And, and so this kind of logic gets us really stuck into uh, a bit of a box because at the end of the day, like whether or not the Catholic Church uh, is controlled directly by the Vatican. And I mean, there's some people arguing that, well, we should still be able to get some documents from like the Obelite uh, order, which is one of the orders that um, that was very involved in the residential school uh, coordination and, and management um, but the Oblates will probably always def- default to the Vatican and the Vatican's outside of Canadian borders. And then there's been also calls to say, OK, well, maybe the International Criminal Court is what where we should be orienting ourselves to, to look for justice. And that's that's very interesting. I'm, I'm actually very excited to see what those kinds of discussions are going to, 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 to do. But in a situation like this, and this is one example, but there's so many examples of this in Canada – you have two institutions who might talk a big game about, you know, reconciliation and doing what's what's right. But at the end of the day, the federal government doesn't want the Catholic Church to redo- release documents because those documents are going to implicate the federal government and vice versa. So there's really no no um, there's nothing compelling the federal government to say, OK, um, you know, national organization of the Catholic Church, which doesn't exactly exist. But, you know, let's say that that's an organization that exists. Uh, Unless you release these documents, we're going to start jailing your leaders. And then they jail the leaders, right? Like, that's not going to happen because the federal government isn't even itself putting forward this this information. The federal government has been fighting in court to be able to destroy documents related to to the residential school system. So, gosh, it just starts, then you start to, like, descend in this, like, spiral of, like, doom and, like, oh, my God, what can we do as Canadians to hold our government to account when our government is really, really rotten and literally all of the choices are just to continue the colonial project. And then I see folks 
tearing down the statue of Egerton Ryerson. And I'm like, oh, right. There's the answer is that the answer, uh, part of the answer, because, of course, part of the answer are the calls to action from the TRC. But another part of the answer is that thinking outside of the bounds of government, thinking outside of the colonial structures in this country to start to imagine different ways that we actually can organize relationships and organize justice uh, to I'm not sure what if it's to force uh, politicians to be held to account. It's to, if it's to force them to do what they wouldn't want to do is if it's to scare them into doing what they want to do or is it to like topple different government agencies? Like I, I'm not sure. This is this is what I'm hoping that we pull apart tonight. Well, I think it can be both. And I think it can also be neither. It could be outside of all of those things. And I think of uh, a few different examples when I when I say that, like an institution, as much as uh, any organization is only as strong and is only as powerful as the people who support it. An institution or organization, I'm going to say it again, is only as strong as the people who support it. Like if you, for example, have, I don't know, a university who just stops being supported by the, by the uh, provincial government, then that university could lose all of its staff, a bunch of its programs, a bunch of its faculty. Even if you have an institution uh, like uh, government, and this is, you know, the things that they're always nervous about. And same with the church, you know, they need people to support them. They need people to buy into uh, the way that they do things or they will lose power. They know this. But we also have to, in some way, believe, in the, believe that the institution is worth supporting in some way um, in order for it to keep going. And so examples as to how uh, folks always and have always thought outside the box to create things when government fails or when it, uh, you know, when you know that it's just total and complete bullshit is um, all of the organizing around safe supply across Canada um, and making sure that um, uh, safe drug use access is available uh, to people. That is outside of government purview, and people have organized it and done um, really critical, life-saving work uh, where the healthcare system has completely failed. Uh, because there was no, there is no reason to keep looking to an institution that refuses to even acknowledge uh, the existence of a need for this type of care and hope, hope, hope upon hope that someday maybe they'll value us enough to, to, to do something about this. When you could do what you can to start organizing on your own. Another great example is um, uh, the the women's movement uh, in Canada in, um, you know, in starting up the status of women sort of um, organizations, like forcing the government to do that, like working in that way, forcing politicians to do that. It didn't start with like, you know, just lobbying politicians and getting people to um, pass a motion to to start a new government agency. People were doing that work outside of government until it became so powerful because of all of the support that it had, that it got government support. And then 
you know, later on lost government support and then fell apart. Like we don't have to rely on government. We can do things outside of government and where it serves us. If we want to institutionalize it in that way, we can, but we certainly don't have to. I think we all know to some extent that, you know, the government and these very powerful institutions are um, the greatest uh, purveyors of, of violence um, uh, to so many in our society. And so we have to, to be able to understand that it could be a tool in some very specific circumstances, but often it's not going to be the tool. And I think that the skill of being creative enough to figure out how to organize outside of the traditional level levers of power that we're told are the only ways to do things, to change things, to make things happen in our society. That's the skill um, that is so important for us to learn. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, I'm always like struck when I am thinking about this or talking to other people about this. And so I've just been struck by this listening to you of just how narrow our horizon has been, um, just how much our, our horizon has narrowed on what is possible when it comes to activism. Like the fact that we, we collectively are so oriented towards partisan politics is a testament to the weakness of our movements outside of the partisan arena. Because, like, there was a time where, you know, movements were so strong that, as you say, Sandy, you force, the, you force government into the action that you want it to take. And it really does feel like now that there is no way to do that, that there's no, um, there's no force that is strong enough to scare, like, a liberal party into doing the right thing. And I think that the pandemic has really given so many of us that moment to think about what is possible and to really interrogate the limits of focusing so much on partisan politics that 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 like I I feel like there are new kind of opportunities opening up for action that just didn't really exist in kind of like the public consciousness a couple of years ago. While at the same time, there's also this huge mass of people who have just been radicalized by the the way that they watched their government just, I mean, see two options ahead of them. Uh, one was to protect people and one was to protect profits. And every single government in this country from the NDP to the Saskatchewan party, right from, from, from left to right, ran head, head fucking first towards protecting those profits. And it's just, it's, it's really amazing to me because it's like, throughout this discussion, the question of democracy is, is so important. And the, and the democratic, like, you know, we, we, me, white settler, Nora, uh, anyone else listening to this podcast, who is a, a settler, number one, and who might also be a white settler, like, these are our institutions. And, and the, de and the government operates, quote, unquote, in our name, and it operates in our name through, like, this completely fucked up, not real version of democracy. And oftentimes, we like, by it that it's like oh yeah it's our democratic duty to you know vote or to maybe get a little bit more involved and we we, we buy this like four-year cycle of political action that 
um, that really limits what's possible, like when you kind of forget about those structures and start working outside of them. But democracy is really important because, of course, like when we talk about the will of people, then we also can start looking at other democratic institutions within society that we should also be able to influence, that we also should hopefully be able to kind of turn on our government. Uh, and, and I'm specifically thinking of labor, right, which is like this location where workers have democratic voice and they're organized. And of course, if you're not unionized, like, you know, then you're outside of this. But for the folks who are unionized, there there is supposed to be this location for democratic action that can then hold to account a rogue government. And sadly, what we've seen during this pandemic is oftentimes uh, unions also saw it was their their job to protect their industries or to to to, you know, give cover to bad federal policy under the guise of it being there to help working people. And and so I wonder, like, thinking of outside of the partisan structures, but in other democratic kind of ways, maybe municipal governments also might be might, might be an interesting location for people. And I don't know, I'm pretty down on municipal politics personally, but like, I know other people really get off on it. But um, like, that is really important to build up institutions that can challenge governments, because like the federal government, if we're imagining like in the case of 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 accounting for what happened within residential schools, if we're imagining that it has to go to the International Criminal Court, because that's the only place that there's going to be like an external kind of pressure put on Canada, well, then why aren't we necessarily thinking about, well, what about a global call for a boycott of this country? And 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 certainly there's activists that have tried to do that. And I'm specifically thinking of activists within mining justice to bring attention to what's happening in Canada, in Canadian mines around the world. But like, that's also kind of a, a thinking that I haven't heard very much of like internationalism which has so like you know really been really hurt um, by uh, neoliberalism global forces of neoliberalism and and, and global capitalism that I mean you know Canada's on the global scale right now uh, on the global stage right now trying to be like hey we're so great we're so great we're so great just don't look at how we're hoarding vaccines just don't look at how we're blocking uh, patents uh, patent waivers just don't look at uh, the fact that we have this colonial past and present that we're like really actively trying to hide. And I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if like some of our attention should be like turned out to the rest of the world and see if we can get that kind of pressure put on our leadership from, from external locations, but also from voices that do represent people internally in Canada too. Well, I think part of what you're naming is that, um, you know, when, when you are trying to influence power, as we've said many times before, you go to where, uh, people are organized. And um, whether or not we feel this way on a regular basis, we are organized internationally in some ways. Um, in some ways, we need to to strengthen that organizing. And in some ways, uh, the, the infrastructure is already there. Uh, with respect to labor, the infrastructure certainly is there internationally in some labor unions more than others. Um, but there is an attachment, an international attachment that labor has to the idea to the way that uh, Canada uh, interacts uh, worldwide, um, and in the in the uh, on the particular actions of Canada that impact Indigenous people both here and around the world, there is something there that could be organized in terms of trying to hold Canada to account, holding the Vatican to account, holding colonialism in general to account. And that's one of the places that we can turn to um, when it uh, comes to democratic spaces that are available to us. I think also 
you know, one of the things I was incidentally talking about today in um, my first social gathering <laughs> uh, <laughs> was this idea that, you know, what is actually happening? What, what did happen with labor? And, you know, talking about it in, a, in an American context, a lot of, um, but this happened in Canada too, a lot of labor unions trying to uh, protect their employers for fear of the jobs uh, for their members. And I think that that is a fundamental misunderstanding, especially in Canada, of like the, the power that the that the union has. The power that the union has isn't to uh, protect the job for the employers. Obviously, it's to protect the worker from the employers. And uh, given that, like the goal shouldn't be just to appeal to the employer to keep the job or to appeal to government to protect the employer's job. It's you use your power to protect your the workers regardless of whether the job exists or not in that form like that you forget mm-hmm. the fucking job right and i feel like there's a there's a like an analogy there in other democratic institutions and here i'm thinking about um schools i'm thinking about uh, post secondary institutions that's another place where mm-hmm. you know x university could have on its own been like as a democratic institution uh, full of, uh, you know, fucking academics who can vote to decide this or that. Um, They could have taken it on fucking decades ago to deal with this shit, to deal with the, you know, like, should we, is this really right that our institution is named this? Is it really right that our institution um, has some history of uh, impacting marginalized groups. Like, but, but these institutions have, by and large, again, uh, these democratic institutions have tried to, in the way that they've, they've um, uh, interacted on the, public, uh, on the public stage, like protect the government in some way, to protect the place that they should be demanding things from um, as um, very important democratic institutions that, that shape our society. They could be the voice to say, um, you know, as we've, um, uh, you know, fucking wondered why they don't so many times to say actually education can, should be free and we can't continue to, to do education this way. It's ridiculous. And if we do, we're just harming both education and um, this institution as a whole. But they never do stuff like that. They just try to protect um, the government and then like, you know, uh, angle themselves around for scraps. And what does that end up with? Well, it ends up with Laurentian. Like, you know, like um, the government doesn't give a shit about these these institutions, whether or not they try to, to protect them or not. So that goes for labor. That goes for education. And I'm sure other institutions that could be doing more to hold the government to account, to hold um, other institutions within our society that are harmful and violent to people to account. Um, but don't because... Well, honestly, I think that the the answer to the because is is just a fear of acting outside the status quo, um, mm-hmm. and also just this idea that they don't know what else to do. Like they they're not sure. They're not willing to use their creativity. Of course, there's a healthy dose of fucking you know white supremacy and all of uh, the other hegemonic structures in there too. But I think that there are some good actors in these uh, democratic institutions who just literally don't know what the fuck to do. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that they've had to park that part of their brain at the door to do their jobs. And I, mm-hmm. I can think of so many administrators and politicians and political staffers and bureaucrats who were like not evil. I mean, I can think of like 10 times the number who were evil. <laughs> but th- that's such a really important point that, you know, the the way that the, the system has been built in this country is like really pathetic that there's that there's decorum that there's a like anybody who's got any kind of like creative sensitivities or i mean dare say radicalism like that's not even possible you are systematically shut out and it doesn't matter what industry that you exist in if you are seen as a troublemaker if you are seen as someone who might stand up for other people like you're not you're not promoted in any industry in this fucking country and through this it's it's actually like Canada is just so banal or banal. I forget how to pronounce that word, but it's it's like the banal probably. I mean, I hear an old. Yeah. Okay, fine. Um, You're right. It probably is banal. Sorry, Nova Scotia. Um, It it, like it's (laughs) we're a country that is just like so consistent in it in its ability to reward the most boring motherfuckers and elevate them to the highest positions in everything that it's like wow like we suck like we're so boring and then the 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 renegades or the rogues of the world they they can be right-wing and shitty and rise to the top of whatever corporation and be audacious and be creative and take risks but that that's kind of like fine because it's on the right but if you're center to the left like you are forced in such an intense way to self-censor to shape yourself into different ways to you know because of white supremacy often you have to look a certain way or you just like can't make it and and we don't really talk about that very often slash never in Canada. Like every fucking politician that's interviewed on on whatever radio, television, internet show that you listen to, like they're always kind of assumed that they're not a total fucking dumbass. But like they probably are. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, like and you you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> And we've talked about this on the show, but I think it's so important. Like, hell, maybe this is the whole show is like the the Canada's like banal, dumb, fucking ass, boring shit of a country. <laughs> I don't know if that's not a very good show title. Oh, God. That, that it is literally how things are constructed here. And public policy is constructed like that. No one wants to stick their neck out. No one wants to actually do the right thing. And in, in refusing to do the right thing, the wrong thing just gets done over and over and worse and worse and worse. And so now we have like layers and layers and layers of colonialism and layers and layers and layers of racism and layers and layers and layers of of, of a system that is so, so dysfunctional that we can literally have looked back at the last 15 months and say, wow, more than 17,000 people who lived in the care of something, of some, of some entity, whether that entity was the state, whether that entity was private corporations who were literally set up to house people, whether that's a shelter, whether that's a jail, whether that's uh, a, a group home, seven, more than 17,000 Canadians fucking died this past 15 months. And there's no question of anybody going to jail. There's no question of putting anyone on trial Fuck! I don't know if you saw this news from Frank Magazine in, in Halifax, but they they just released the nine one one tapes from the shooting in in Nova Scotia last April, a oh, year ago did. April. Oh yeah, and and what did the RCMP know? They knew that the shooter 
was driving an RCMP police car, which was something that they just stood up and lied about, straight up lied, lied, lied. We didn't know that he was in a, in a no, no, three, three people called 911 were like, this guy's driving an RCMP cruiser. And the RCMP did not put the alert out. And that literally led to other people oh being killed because they God. were pulled over by the cars. Oh, my God. Right. And then and then like the reports from from from, you know, Frank magazine has a lot of enemies for very good reason. And there's like sneering in the mainstream media like, oh, these were improperly released or they shouldn't have been released or whatever. Um, that was the RCMP that no one should have had these 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 recordings was the only thing they could fucking say. And it's just so typically Canadian about how the fuck we deal with these things. And you're just like, are you kidding me? Yeah, I. Oh, man, that really hit. They they fucking knew, huh? <sighs> Jesus fucking yeah. Christ. Yeah, well, I mean, 911 knew. 911 knew, and presumably they passed that information to the RCMP. Let's see what happens there. That I mean, th- this is the thing, right? Like, we have to be able to hold um, institutions accountable. And I know, I know, it's like, it's really easy. It's really easy to just be like, you know, fuck the government. They suck. Um, but I think what Nora and I are appealing to, and I mean, fuck, we know that it's easy. That's what this whole podcast is made of. That is the fucking, that is the, the, the fodder for the fire <laughs> that is Sandy and Nora. But what we're, we're trying to get folks to think about is the next step. It's not, we can't just sit and be like, the government sucks, the Vatican sucks. I recognize that at the end. I think we have to be able to rely on one another to figure out something else, to figure out the next creative step that we're going to take. Because we all know that this shit sucks. And by this shit, I mean literally everything. Like, we all know. We're all constantly talking about it. (laughs) And for some of us, we create inroads. And whether that's, um, you know, a new political party or a an organization like Black Lives Matter or Safe Supply or, um, you know, whatever it is, you know, like we, we are creating inroads. And I think there's too few of us who understand and know how to do that, even if it is within an institution. One of the things that I'm just remembering that's uh, come up for me uh, um, as we're having this discussion that is, I think, indicative of what I'm talking about here is last year when everything got shut down in the middle of school, there was at my school, and I know at a number of schools around the world, like this, um, this kind of tension of some students, uh, the ones who are especially privileged, being like, um, I hope absolutely nothing's going to change. We still want to be graded, and uh, nothing uh, should change at all. We want everything to be exactly the same. And the re- Joe regular student, like <laughs> the other students, being like, oh, there is a global emergency. I can't contact, I can't go home, or I, this is affecting me personally in some way, and it doesn't make sense to continue as normal. That is, you know, ridiculous. And um, as this tension was happening at school, there was this, this professor who I, I really respect and love and think is wonderful, who said, you know, I don't even know why we're having this discussion. This is ridiculous. Like, what the fuck are grades? Fuck grades. Like, every student should be getting an A. Like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, you know, people are talking about pass-fail. People are talking about this, that. She's like, every student should be getting A's. That is not ultimately what my school landed on. But she was, you know, this is where she was. And she was uh, very much like, we shouldn't be believing in grades in the first place. Like, the whole thing is ridiculous. And so I went to her office just like, can I just ask you something? Like, you have tenure. You don't believe in grades. I'm glad to know this about you now. Why are you doing it regularly? Why are you continuing to grade people 
regularly, like on a, on a non-pandemic day. <laughs> Why the fuck are you doing this? And she looked at me and she, she like stared at me for like an uncomfortable amount of time and said, that is a really intense challenge. And I don't, I don't know. It makes me uncomfortable that you've asked me that question. And now I need to think about it. And like that, I, but, but why hasn't she thought about it before? Like why, why is, I mean, she does, she knows she doesn't believe in grading. Like she is, she's, um, as when she was a student, she was active against grading policies at her school. You know, like what is it that stops those of us who, who may even be creative enough to figure out what's wrong uh, from being creative enough and courageous enough from doing from take to to taking the next step to doing what we can do where we can do it because again it's so easy to just say this is wrong yeah of course and this is uh you know here's where the problems lie yes of course we've done that work we, we're there what is stopping us from from moving from uh, you know, the government needs to hold the Vatican accountable to whatever we decide or whomever decides the next step is going mm. to be. I often think about um, this thing I learned in drama class before it was pretty clear that I wasn't going to be a famous dramatist. And Sandy, you probably learned this too. There's still time. I don't know if there is for me, you know, I've got I got other plans now. But, you know, one of the first things that you learn in drama school was that, like, modern uh, – the modern stage has its origins in, like, Greek chanting. <laughs> Stop me if you've heard this one. You know this one? I think so. Can t- Keep going. Yeah. Okay. So, there, so there's always so, – so, so, so theater was, like, just, like, choral chanting. Not really choral singing, but, like, people chanting stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the moment that it changed – I don't I, – like, all of you people who listen to us who are like, Nora, you're butchering the story. Shut, shut the fuck up. It's like, I can't hear you. I'm sorry. So <laughs> they, they're all chanting, and then, like, one guy is like, fuck this chant. I'm just going to say my own thing. And he steps out of the chant, and he just starts speaking, and it's like, boom, theater is fucking invented. And I would have snapped at the same time if I – actually had the capacity to snap, which I don't have. I, can't, I cannot, I can't snap my fingers. And I think that like, I remember being in grade 10 learning that. And I was like, that, that's the worst story. Like who cares that all that guy did was stop chanting. Right. And, and it's funny because I mean, when you're a bit of a, of a shithead renegade kid, like that obviously is the worst story. It doesn't make any sense. But uh, like, you know, now that I'm a, an adult who's still a shithead, but like understands how social control works, um, I, yeah, I, I think that it, it comes down to fear. Um, and I don't personally understand that fear. I mean, I understand the fear of getting fired, the fear of losing, being ostracized or whatever, losing, um, the support of maybe someone that you love, but like people are always saying to me like, oh my God, no, you're so courageous. You're so courageous. And it's just like, I'm not really courageous. Like courage is fucking like holding your breath really long underwater while you have to like swim under ice or something. That seems like Why really, is that really courageous? That just <laughs> really courageous. Not smart. Yeah. Scary? Oh, no, like you, you had, had to let's do it. You had okay, to do okay. it. You had that, to do that it. part was missing from yeah. the story for me. <laughs> right, right. That's courageous, right? But standing up against power, I mean, yeah, you pay a bit of a price for sure, but like fucking who cares? Like if you can like 
you cannot tell me like that no, no one who's not standing up to power just has too much to pay. Like there is a scale of what people can pay. And I know that people are not like they're not sticking their neck out uh, enough. There, there's a lot of people out there that need to stick their neck out more and that can stick their neck out and that are not doing that. And I think, you know, th- that's what the system is is held up by. It's ha- it's not held up by democracy necessarily. I mean, the conservatives certainly have a solid blo- blo- uh, voting block and then all the other parties like do what they can to try and create their own voting block to win. But, but I mean, our democracy is pretty fickle and not that real. But but it's but our, our system is really held up by this incredible fear that people have of I'm not sure what actually like. You're not going to get arrested in this country. Like people are ostracized and and their careers are damaged, but they're not like are, like in different ways. The the police arrest people for different reasons in this country to put them in line, and it's not necessarily for speaking out. Oftentimes, it's just for existing because you're not white, right? How how do we convince people then that like you know maybe we do need to just call out these structures, struggle against these structures, do something that challenges the legitimacy of these structures? Because I do think that, like, we live in a bit of a house of cards. Oh, yeah, I really do think so. I mean, the things, like, I, I think that Laurentian is is so instructive for so many reasons. And uh, one of those really important reasons is, is like, is very much revealing that it is a, a house of cards. Even an institution uh, like student unions and the way that student unions have kind of fallen apart over the last little bit, uh, part of that was just a little bit of poking from the conservative government, and these are these are, I think, in Canada, one of the stronger institutions uh, in our society. And they've kind of, you know, um, I know a lot of students who are involved in student unions are listening. I don't mean to say that your institutions have fully fallen apart, but they are not what they used to be. And a lot of that um, uh, is just uh, revealing how much of a, a house of cards all of our institutions are, whether it's Laurentian. Student unions, labor unions, you know, I, I think, um, especially during the, the pandemic, you know, when uh, um, uh, potential revenues have probably impacted certain uh, labor institutions, certainly, um, you know, that's revealed there too. Uh, just sh- shit that you find out about, like how policing works and how this whole system is set up. It is all a lot of... A lot of misplaced trust is mm. all of the, that these institutions are standing on as their foundation. Yeah. So what happens when you remove the trust and, and you start, uh, you know, poking at power? Ooh. I mean, I really think um, that there is a lot of potential in our society to radically change things for the better. But we have to be committed we have to be committed to getting over this thing, whatever it is, that really um, stops us uh, from, from taking the next step after we identify the problem, after we say it's this person's fault, it's this institution's fault, this is what's gone wrong. What is it that is stopping us from taking that next step? We have to get past that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, one thing that I use to help prove that this is all true is the ferocity with which Canada's cultural institutions stop 
any kind of radical thought from being promoted or being involved or being platformed or whatever. And, you know, this is not always the case, but it has certainly become the case in the last 30 years and has been made far, far worse in the last 15 years. And I, I feel like it's there that we really see how shaky everything is, that like we literally are uh, governed by completely naked politicians. And, you know, if if anyone were to be allowed on to any national news uh, network or agency and said that the entire caucus is naked, that they would fall to dust. I mean, actually, fuck, that just happened. <laughs> like we just had an MP be naked twice in a meeting and and the entire like media was like, oh, we're not talking about this. Like that would be mean to him. Like as if what like that was normal and not not weird. <laughs> like that shouldn't be national news. You know, and and so like the the way that um that our cultural institutions have like such a, a tight grip on the center and making sure that nothing further to the left than the center is discussed and but anything to the right is fair game, um, that's a really good sign and it's a good sign to show just how shaky the grasp of power really is in this country and it doesn't matter what issue we're considering uh, whether it's abolition of prisons or abolition of police or if it's if it's justice for um for anything for any community uh, if it's trying to undo colonization in this country like understanding that that gris- gr- grasp on power is so weak and it really won't take much to force them to let go uh, then the next question becomes, and of course, we don't have time for this one, is, well, who's there to catch it? Who's there to fill the gap? And what does that look like? 